Hey there. Um, yesterday I promised to do a Facebook Live. Um, I was very excited because John Caputo was speaking and I was like making promises. Oh yeah, I'll come on and do something. And now I've had my Amiga course um, and I'm like exhausted. But I am a pro and I promised you that I would do a Facebook Live and so here I am, even though I don't have air conditioning in my house and it is roasting. It is so hot. I've got the fan going. Um, I don't look like I'm sweating too much, but wow, it is warm in LA right now. So I thought I would just check in with you all um, and actually maybe talk a little bit about, um, thanks Jace. Well, Jace, you said that I was, you thought I was dyeing my hair yesterday. Don't think that I didn't see that comment. This has never been dyed in its life. My dad is in his 70s and still has this color of hair. So no, no dye job at all. Thank you very much. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, I thought I would uh, talk briefly about the second week of the Amiga course, which I've just done. We had a pile of people around at my house and uh, 200 more joining online. And we were talking about Christianity and the absurd. Um, uh, and I was connecting Christianity with um, the work of Camus, the work of a theologian called Hessert, and also with the church father, um, Tertullian. Tertullian famously said, credo quia absurdum, I believe, because it is absurd. That's a, that's a paraphrase, but that's kind of what he was saying. And people have traditionally thought this was crazy. The idea to believe something that's absurd is ridiculous. I mean, if I was to say to you that I believe my toys come to life in the middle of the night whenever I'm fast asleep, and then you were to say to me, that's a ridiculous, that's absurd. And then I was to say, not simply, Oh yeah, no, but I still believe it. I know it's crazy, but I believe it. If I was to say, you're exactly right, and precisely because it is absurd, that's why I believe it. You would think I was crazy. Or if I was saying my cooker was giving me lottery ticket numbers or whatever else, you would think I was mad. So what does Tertullian think? What's he meaning when he's saying this? Um, now, actually, I'm not pretending that I know what he was saying because I haven't read him that closely, but I want to give an interpretation. And in order to do that, um, I want to just tell you what Camus means when he talks about the absurd. Because Albert Camus uh, was a philosopher, thinker, who really made the absurd a key element of his thinking. So for Camus, the absurd is simply a thinking being, a meaning-desiring being, confronts a universe that resists meaning, right? Creates an experience of the absurd. So basically, a being that wants meaning confronts a universe that seems to resist meaning. And that's what Camus means by the absurd, the experience of the absurd. So data as an art form is a type of 
confrontation with the absurd or situationalists or the religious movement the um what do you call them the oh i forget the name begins with the i always forget their name the um it'll come back to me it'll come back to me um uh the distortionists the oh i forget anyway this idea that that at the um that the absurd is our confrontation with the universe that resists meaning okay so um why has christianity got a relationship to the absurd this is something i was exploring today in the amiga course but this is a little summary if you don't want to do it um if you do feel free to sign up but otherwise this will this will sate your appetite. Um, I was I was exploring how this thinker, Paul Hessert, argues that Christianity is the original punk movement. It's the original Dadaist movement. It's the original absurdist event, right? Now, which is the exact opposite of what we think about when we think about Christianity. We think Christianity is about meaning. It's about understanding things. It's about a worldview, and actually. That's what Paul Hessert calls meaningful Christianity. He says that the world, we, as part of the world, we seek meaning. We want structures of meaning, politically, culturally, religiously, that help us understand our place in the universe, that help us understand why we're here. And we would rather have meaning than the idea that the world lacks meaning. You see this in the experience of breaking up with someone when you say to them, why did you break up with me? You know, tell me anything. I, I prefer you to tell me that, that I was terrible, I was awful, or I was ugly, or you don't, you're not attracted to me anymore. Anything is better than nothing, than no reason at all. There's something about us that seeks reason. And so Hessert argues that Christianity generally either affirms the dominant meaning structure of society, priests, bless, tanks, national prayer breakfast for the president, um, you know, whatever it is that Christianity either endorses the meaning structure of society or it creates a countercultural meaning system that's a, that critiques and that's a good thing sometimes, you know, it critiques the main meaning structure in society, says there's things that are wrong. But if it was ever successful, it would become a new, it would become a new structure of meaning. Or it just mimics this, the world and it has its own worldview, its own understanding of society, its own meaning system. But Hessert basically argues that Christianity is the original punk it's the proto-punk movement and the and Christ crucified is the most scandalous, ridiculous, countercultural, distorting, destructive notion you could imagine. God dying. Now we don't experience the profound craziness and absurdity of that because we've heard it so many times and people have tried to understand it and make sense of it. But Hessert's saying that this is totally punk. In the same way that the original punks kind of critiqued society by, by um, uh, you know, confronting it uh, with distortion, with, with, with its own, um, you know, like with dress and with music and with kind of ideas that critiqued and not by giving another perspective, but just kind of like blowing open meaning, 
just like the Dadaists in the 1910s, 1915s, were, were kind of critiquing the idea of meaning, Christ crucified cannot be understood as a meaningful statement. All of the atonement theories that you read, um, the fact that there's so many of them testifies to the idea that this phrase lacks meaning. We as meaning-creating beings come to it. We want it to mean something and it resists meaning, which is the absurd. Christ crucified is our experience of the absurd. It critiques everything. It critiques all of our understandings of wisdom and justice. And this is why Kierkegaard would laugh at you if you said that Jesus was a wisdom teacher or an ethical teacher. He's like, oh my goodness, the last thing you can say about Jesus is he's an ethical teacher. You know, uh, parables destroy reason and wisdom. They're always critiquing reason. They're always critiquing the way we see the world, the way we see who's inside, who's outside, who's pure, who's impure, who's good, who's bad. All of the boundaries that we create that make sense to us are critiqued and broken open. Um, we are confronted with something that explodes all of the barriers and ideas that we have. So in the reading that we did today from the book Christ and the End of Meaning, he explored how not just parables, because parables explode meaning, but the idea of God crucified is a stumbling block to those who want signs, signs that God is with us, and also wisdom, the idea that we can logically, apologetically say that God is on our side. Because the Apostle Paul basically, he defines it, he says, some people seek signs, some people seek wisdom and Christ crucified blows them apart. It's a stumbling block to one and it's foolishness to the other. It doesn't fit into our meaning creating systems. And so what Hesser is saying is that Paul is going, we always try to say that wisdom or reason or God is on our side. Our football team wins. Northern Ireland just won against the Ukraine 2-0 in the Euros. So God is on our side, right? Um, or God saved my child. God is on my side. I know somebody whose child was kidnapped and was recovered within 24 hours. And he said how he prayed so much and God saved his child. And that was beautiful, a beautiful story. Until he said that four other children were also kidnapped on the same day and none of them survived. It's like, okay, so God is on your side and not on their side, right? And wisdom is a way of saying that rationality and God is on our side because look, we've got the most reasonable position. So these are two ways that we solidify our worldview. Signs and wonders, wisdom and knowledge. And Paul says Christ crucified doesn't fit into either of them. It's absurd. It breaks things open. And so what we explore today is the idea that Christianity is not, in the words of John Caputo, not projection but a projectile. Projection is where we create a religion that looks like us. If you want to know what people are like, look at their dogs. People get dogs that represent their personality. Is it a butch dog? Is it a tiny, cute dog? Is it a yelpy dog? Is it a very stoic dog? In the same way, if you want to know what people are like, look at their gods. Their gods reflect who we are. That's what Feuerbach says, religion is projection. But John Caputo says religion is not projection, religion is a projectile. What he means is, at its best, the prophetic tradition 
breaks open our meaning structures. It destroys the way we look at the world. It opens us up to new possibilities. It's like um, if your kids go off to university and they come back and they're sitting around the dinner table and they've got some crazy views that you know they didn't get living in Birmingham, Alabama, right? There's a sense in which those children potentially will rupture the meaning system of the family. And either the parents will say, don't talk about what you learned in that crazy liberal university, shut up. Or they'll go, okay, this sounds a bit mad, but talk to us. Because we helped raise you with the best of our values. And now you're coming into this house, learning something different that might help us reflect again on our values, right? So they rupture the meaning system. In this idea, Christianity is a projectile that breaks into all of our systems of who's right and who's wrong, who's pure and who's impure, who's good and who's bad. And so it's blessed are, is, are the queers, blessed are the, the gay and lesbians and the transgender and whoever it is, whoever in our society is seen as that which problematizes our views of what is good and bad, pure and impure, sexually right and sexually wrong, they are the incoming of Christ because they problematize our systems of meaning and break them open to new possibilities. And this is what uh, John Caputo calls the possible and the impossible. The possible is what we know, our value systems, our belief systems, the, the things that we use to make decisions every day of our lives, and they're good. Our, our traditions are usually full of good things. But the impossible is what we cannot imagine, what breaks into our world and makes us see things differently, what we could never have put into our calendar, which opens up our future to new possibilities. It might be a new relationship. It might be involved in a, in a, in a political project that you didn't care about one, uh, the day before. It could be the death of someone. It could be um, a, an unwanted pregnancy that changes your life. Whatever it is, the apocalyptic is that which ruptures your world and opens you up to new possibilities. In philosophy, it's called the event. An event is something you couldn't imagine, but that breaks open your world. Um, in the reading that we did today with Paul Hessert, we explored the idea that Christianity is a projectile that is absurd, that, that, be, that, that we encounter as absurd, that ruptures our whole sense of the walls that we build, who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, and help us look at the world in a radically different way. And that what we need to do is we need to cultivate a sensitivity to those places in our world, those people and those ideas that dis disrupt us. Oh, and that's what the philosoph that's what the religious movement are called. They're called the discordance that 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 rupture us, um, that that kind of provide a type of explosive experience that gets us to open ourselves up to new possibilities. So religion at its best is not something that tells us how to think about things and solidify our world and so we judge everybody in relation to that. Religion at its best sensitizes us to the other who breaks open our sense of our ideologies and our ideas of looking at the world. The Sabbath was made for people 
not people for the Sabbath. Our ideologies are made for people, not people for our ideologies. We have a religious, idolatrous faith if our ideologies crush and destroy people. But we probably have a healthy faith if the other, if people are allowed to critique and open up our faith in new ways. So faith, fidelity and betrayal are interconnected. And that's why I wrote the book, Fidelity of Betrayal. To be faithful to our traditions is to be open to critiquing them, to deconstructing them, to seeing them in new lights. And what if Christ crucified is the ultimate punk saying? It's the ultimate um, uh, data expression. It's, it, it offends us. It offends all of our ideas of what is right and what is good. It disrupts our world, opening us up to new possibilities. And that our job is to cultivate a sensitivity to the other, to cultivate a sensitivity to that which disrupts us. Hence, we go out and we help other people, like the homeless, prison population, not because we are good news to them, but because they are good news to us. Because they disrupt us and tell us that there are problems in our social body, in our systems. We go out, we allow ourselves to be transformed and critiqued. And this is what prophets do. This is what parables do. This is what good comedy does. And this is what Christ crucified means. So if you want to know anything more about that, sign up to the Amiga course. Otherwise, go by Christ in the End of Meaning. And um, I hope that was interesting. I'm going to look at some of your questions now. And I uh, uh, appreciate you uh, clicking into this on your Sunday afternoon. Let's see. Um, oh, Tristan, you're liking The Divine Magician. Thank you. Uh, that's probably, you know, it's my latest book, so it's my favorite book. I, it's closest to what I think now. But the old me might have been right. I would love to have a debate with the old me and the new me and see how they how they do when they fight it out. Discordantism, yes, look, thank you so much. That was what I was trying to think about. There's a religious movement called the Discordantists and they affirm this chaos that breaks things open. But by the way, you can't live in that chaos. You can't, you can, if you live in the chaos, you're gonna end up dying on the street somewhere, right? But you also can't live in the, where you close yourself off from the event, where you close yourself off from the impossible, where you experience the disruption of your being, right? You kind of have to live in a world of meaning, but be open to that which disrupts it. And by the way, that doesn't happen in abstraction. Whenever, whenever Camus says, the, the meaning-seeking being confronts a universe that resists meaning, he doesn't mean it in abstraction. It happens concretely. You might be in your seminary reading a book that challenges what you've believed, and that is the moment in history and in time when your worldview begins to critique. You might meet a friend who tells you that you know they're gay. Um, if that's a thing that you know, you know, in your world, being straight and what is connected with Christianity, and you connect with this person who you respect, whose sexuality is different, and that's your experience of the deconstruction of your world of meaning. Or it might be when you lose your job and become homeless, or you lose a relationship or someone that you love, and it's, it's different in different times and different places. And most of the time we run from those. When they happen, we try to hide from them. We try to plaster over the problem. 
But for Paul Hessert, faith is where we are able to affirm these moments of radical uh, destruction um, because they lead to new healing. Okay, let's see. Can the Gospels really be understood as absurd as satire? Um, you know, I think that at a certain um, a certain reading, you can affirm this. I don't want to say that that's the right way to read them or anything, but but it's very hard to build a meaning structure from the thoughts of Jesus. Like he'd often tell a parable, and then someone would ask him what it means, and then he'd explain it by an even crazier parable, and he'd say different things to different people. To be saved, you must be born again, or you must sell everything you have and give to the poor, or just go home and don't tell anybody. Right? You know, all of this kind of stuff. It seemed almost like it was designed, the Gospels are designed to wake you up, to disrupt you. Um, and, and I see this even in the fact that there's multiple names for God, which clash. God is warrior, God is peacemaker, God who's unchanging, God who changes God's mind. All of this, God is he, God is she. All of these, and they don't fit neatly together. And then in the midst of that, the unsayable tetragrammaton, you, there's, a, there's this name that is unnameable. Um, plus four gospels that don't fit neatly together, you know, like, you know, did the clearing of the temple happen at the beginning of the gospels as you have in John or at the end of the gospels that you have in the synoptics. So there's a way of reading the text that is a kind of like chaos that is designed to disrupt your whole meaning systems. However, I say, I don't want to, I just want to give a little bit of time to that reading. Because Paul Hessert makes the argument that whether you're Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, Fundamentalist, Liberal, Progressive, everybody in the actual existing church in the structure affirms meaningful Christianity, worldview Christianity. Religionless Christianity is like saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's not that at all. Christianity acts as, you know, a confrontation with, with absurdism that opens you up to taking responsibility for your life because you can't put it onto somebody else. God made me do it. You have to take responsibility for your actions in creating the world um, in love for the other, sensitizing yourself to um, those who are the outsiders. Anyway, da -da -da -da. Um, Tara needs to hear this. Good, Tara, thank you so much. I'm hoping that, um, I'm glad it, it was useful to you. Uh, see if there's any more questions. Oh, Ronald, Camus, not only on absurdity, but his book, um, Resistance and Rebellion, is important to resisting fundamentalism. Yeah, Ronald, uh, you know, Camus is a fantastic writer. Um, he died too young. Um, he has fascinating things to say. And uh, I actually haven't read that book. So on your recommendation, I will uh, I'll try to read it. Um, and, yeah. Let's see, any more questions? Okay. As far as I see, there's no more questions at the moment. So thanks for tuning in to this impromptu Facebook Live. I hope you're enjoying these. I enjoy doing them. And um, I hope you kind of you know, keep tuning in. As long as you're there, as long as you listen, I will, I will talk. Um, so take care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and have a cold shower uh, or find a bar that's cold or something like that because at the moment it must be 100. So wherever you are, have a great day. Bye-bye.